0: We should just do it for like. This is Lucky to Lead. <laughs> that was so good. Okay. Nice. Just drop your best
1: one. Welcome to Lucky to Lead.
0: You're talking shit about me?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is Lucky, Lucky to Lead. Boom. Okay. Dave, we're back. Episode <gasps> four. You still with me?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm here, man. Quarantine, ready to go.
0: I know that nobody can see, but your hair looks above average today.
1: The little guy was uh, was a uh, coaching doesn't even come close to him today. <laughs> so,
0: all right, well, I have that point. to look forward to, I guess.
1: Yeah, that was a struggle. So, uh, yeah, sorry about the hair, man.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, episode four, we have Jerry Davis on. Jerry, we are fired up to have you, man.
2: Uh, I'm fired up to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh,
0: so, Jerry, we usually kick it off. We we don't really know what, what this is or, or what it's supposed to be, so we just kind of – we play it by ear every time, and we just try not to make it uh, – we try not to fuck anybody's life up by having them on here.
2: Okay. <laughs>
0: um. So, so Jerry, uh, what are you doing now? Share that with us to start.
2: Uh, you mean, like, right now sitting at home or – need- <laughs>
0: We we can talk about that too. <laughs> no,
2: so uh, what I do now, I serve as uh, city council for the uh, city council member for the city of Houston, and uh, that actually that role is primary um, now since in this uh, COVID state. Uh, but those are my two primary uh, two two primary roles. But you know, city council member for the city of Houston for the last eight years, served as a uh, vice mayor of the city of Houston for six of those eight years and uh, chaired the economic development committee for the city of Houston. And um, before that, you know, I started as a uh, nonprofit and partnered up with my brothers uh, and our family's restaurants, uh, the breakfast club, culture, Hunt, and et cetera, et cetera.
0: So, so backing backing all the way up. The first thing is, um, you are your district B. Have you always done? Is it always been District B since you started?
2: It's always been District B. Um, it's been District B since I mean, since the inception of uh, when the city was forced to go to uh, single me- eleven or single member districts uh, to have a true representation of the city of Houston. And uh, eight years ago, um, once we hit over two million people in the city uh, of Houston our charter stated that we had to add two more, uh, another district per uh, to give everyone about 200,000 constituents per district. And so, but District B has always been District B since uh, the single member district inception.
0: Nice. What is, uh? you said you were the mayor, you were the co, what was that title?
2: <laughs> the vice mayor. So basically, uh, you know, we elect a mayor and we elect city council members. And after that, our city charter established a, a role uh, for succession plan. And uh, my, uh, my position was voted on by, uh, from my colleagues uh, to be the vice mayor, um, pretty much like the whip, council's whip, um, on items that we see on a weekly basis through our agenda. Nice. Um, it was nice, but the mayors didn't like it too much sometimes. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's right.
0: You've you've been through two mayors.
2: Yeah, two mayors, uh, Parker for four and uh, Turner for four as well. And I'm great. not going to ask who was a better man. I'm not going to answer that. Well obviously I'm gonna say Turner because I'm still on council and I still let me need let
0: questions. me cross that question out. Okay. <laughs> Got Skipping that so one. That
1: dynamic of trying to bring a group of powerful people together has gotta be uh, a difficult task. Correct. It is.
2: Um uh, much like if you were having to coach an all-star team coach uh, uh-huh. of lacrosse players. Okay. Because when you think about, you know, uh, as a district council member, you are you may have between six to maybe 15,000 people to vote for you. And if you're an at-large council member, you can have well up to 2 million people. people—or not 2 million because all of them are registered to vote. You can have well up to about 700,000 people vote for you. And so imagine – a council member getting, receiving more votes than the mayor. Uh, Correct. But there's different dynamics behind that. But then that person says, I'm, I've been entrusted with the will of my district to serve. So you need to listen to me because I know what they want. And so oftentimes you will get um, an issue that's on council and uh, you will either want it to pass or if the, if the administration is pushing it and you want it to fail because it's not within your best di- interest of the district, we have a committee meetings and we put forth the information and then you would go figure out how to attack uh, this agenda item, um, who's for it, and looking at the history of the person, looking at the dynamics of the district if it's ultra social, progressive, or somewhat uh, conservative, and then you fill you pull out points on, on the actual item to uplift and put in front of them so they will be compelled to vote for that wow. item or or cancel it. So yeah. And that's how actually that's how we changed our terms. Um, um four years ago, the city of Houston, we had two year two, three two-year terms of the max. And um my 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 staff and I, we figured out, okay. Every two years, it's kind of crazy to go into this whole campaign because you're not getting the work, the people's work done. And so we put forth an agenda item to change it to two four-year terms. And I had to get it passed off of council's agenda to go out for a referendum for the people to vote on it. Um, so we had to figure out how we, we do that. Common sense, you have 11 districts, so you only need nine votes for it to pass. And I just used that and that's how we got it. Now, the big part was like, how do you get it? get it passed on the agenda. And so we just work, you work, you figure out what the angles are and how to work them out.
1: I'm going to go, I'm going to jump right into it because I got, my juices are flowing now. (laughs) So, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? You've been through Harvey. um, And that's since I've lived here, which has only been four years. So I'm probably leaving out several that have occurred prior to that. So See, if I can, so
2: 2016 yeah. we had the Tax Day flood. That's right. 17 yeah. with uh, Harvey, and then 18, Amelda, and now the pandemic. Jeez, that's uh, all four years. And then if you go to 15, but you weren't here in 15, we also had the uh, Memorial Day floods. Wow. So that's where we are.
1: Yeah. So y- so you're looking at it from a perspective of of you've gone through all of these. Leadership wise, you're talking about leadership in crisis, right? That's basically what you've been through almost each and every year since 15. Correct. What do you see as kind of the, if there's one integral part or piece that you could tell our listeners about leadership in crisis, what would you kind of say or, or, or give advice in that, in that, in a scenario like we've been going through? So leadership in crisis,
2: one, you, you have to know your district. And what I mean by, about that is, so after 20, after Hurricane Harvey hit, the city of Houston has a tax cap. And as we grow in the number of people, our revenue stays somewhat flat. It, it, it rises a little as a multiplier there, but it, it, it stayed somewhat flat. So if you were to think about your home, let's say you have another child and you know, your wife has, uh, gets a, an increase in your salary, but there's expenses. And so when that occurred, we lost a lot of things and we're going to lose a lot within this pandemic. Um, we're going to have to figure out how do we furlough uh, employees to have a cost savings to balance our budget. That's one of the things. And you have to understand that even though you need the finances, you have to figure out what taxes can you levy on the constituency at this time. Even though it's allowed, but in 2017 we chose not to raise the taxes, even though we needed it. Now 2018 again, is here, and we do get some type of supplemental um, funding from the state and feds. Now we're in a situation where we we haven't caught up, so we have the tax cap, and people can't pay all the bills, so we don't get we we we. We can't meet that in 2016, 2017, 2018, and now 2019. We understand that you know, Houston is known for the medical center as well as um, oil and gas, capital of the world. Now, we're gonna, our local economy is going to suffer drastically, worse than 1981 when oil went down. And we all looked at our stocks, and we've seen oil going down for the last month or so. And so not just that, but our restaurants, we're one of the largest restaurant cities in the in the country. So sales tax is going to deplete, be depleted. Um, employee, you know, we know three, three million three million employees every Thursday file for unemployment. And so we're in a scenario where we are going to have to roll back the taxes and give back $186 million because we're at that tax cap, even though we need it. But yet, We're going to have to lay off people. We're going to have to uh, uh, furlough people, uh, employees. We're going to have to figure out how do we adjust. We're not cutting anyone's water off right now. And so, but we need that money for operations. And so leading within the crisis as we're in right now and have been the last four years, we're trying to figure out how do we not, put undue burden on our constituency but also if we don't have the funding to come in for operations these communities in which i serve district b will suffer and what i mean by that when i lay off the the the, the, the trash uh, excuse me the solid waste employees that's fewer times our trash will be picked up um, as it relates to what we call illegal dumping that's when someone just drives by and does a, a a project for someone. And let's say they don't have construction materials and they'll drop it off in the, in the, in the corner in the middle of the night. Well, that may stay there a bit longer. Now it's not going to happen in river Oaks, but it's going to happen over in district B. So now the underserved communities will suffer even more. And so we have to find a balance to figure out how do we continue to get the revenue we need in the city, but not, Put undue stress and burden
1: on our community. So that relationship with your constituents seems like that's a that's a big part of being kind of on that civic leadership side. But that's no different than than being on a team. Correct. You know, kind of trying to bridge the gap because you're talking. I mean, a lot of this stuff's going way over my head. I'm not. I'm not clearly as smart. Um, but I'm trying to to boil it down to that relationship piece of understanding what your people are while also keeping the mission right at the forefront Correct. seems Correct. to be kind of that trying to find that balance in a, in a, in a crisis situation.
2: Balance is, is key. And, and you know, we are, sometimes we do surveys in the district understanding that I, I kind of know that I think I know the answer in the back of my, of my head. But we still do uh, surveys, and we have one that's going to be pop that's going to pop up this weekend. I mean, uh, what's today? Monday? Okay, on Wednesday. So we all receive in the city of Houston a black and a green trash can. Greens for recycling, blacks for the the waste you have to take away every week. State mandate at least one time a week, and so we have to pay for that. We have to pay for recycling because we have to make sure that we don't we stop overloading our uh, uh, wastelands areas um, because one most of them are in those same economically disenfranchised communities okay that we see now that we're calling vulnerable vulnerable communities where they have where we have underlying health issues predominantly black and brown communities and so we have to pay for recycling because commodities aren't where they used to be and so with the pay for recycling and now we're in a situation where okay, we we're the only major city in the state of Texas that does not have a re, a trash fee. We're getting we're going to have to vote on on Wednesday um to assess a 57 cents a month fee per black and green trash can. Now many may say it's not the, it's not the time. It's not the time. But we start our budget season July July 1. And so we must make the, make the accommodations as it relates to our budget to one, continue to serve in these disenfranchised districts like District B, which is northeast, uh, district D, which is southeast, that's like Yates, uh, District K, which is Madison area. And we have these pockets throughout in Aleaf, which is uh, West Houston. We have these pockets in the city of Houston where we must continue to serve, and sometimes we have to make the vote that's not the popular vote, but we know for the greater good of the city and the underlying issues that we that that we see every day, we have to cast that vote to have this it's a dollar dollar some a dollar what fourteen a month dollar
0: fourteen cents
2: dollar fourteen a month, and you know. We we can't be insensitive and say, well, you buy a cup of coffee, your frappe mocha, china latte is more than that. But here's the thing. If you're thinking about District B, we don't have any Starbucks in District B. And so, you know, so you can't use those type of analogies. Enam- that's
0: unbelievable.
2: Oh, believe it. Believe it. That, that's another, you guys got to bring me on for another conversation about, <laughs>
0: yeah
2: groceries, lack of, you know, and that's one of the things that, that is really on the forefront right now with this pandemic is the lack of quality food. fresh produce. Exactly. Yeah. And so that these are some of the things that we're talking about, but I'm sorry. I've I moved on past.
1: No, no, no,
0: no. That's no, that's, this is the shit we want you on for. We have no idea. <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in Dave unless you have a follow-up.
1: Yeah. Hit it. Uh,
0: my big question for you, Jerry, uh, do you think that leadership even has a place in politics? Uh,
2: yeah, it has. And, and, you know, it's we we've been so accustomed to this. Um, It's very hard to take it away. And I, and I say that because the people who can't or feel that they can't speak for themselves, they need someone to speak for them. and. So let's say, you know, I've been fortunate. I grew up in this area. My mom and dad were teachers. My two brothers, we graduated uh, high school, went on to college. Oldest brother served in the Marines. Uh, my middle brother is one of the top entrepreneurs in the city, and uh, me on the educational side as well as a small entrepreneur. When you have a, a an area that they're so bogged down in the day-to-day minutia of going to work, receiving a paycheck, and then coming home trying to make ends meet. They want to be able to rely on someone, and they want to be able to trust someone. And so that's where the the, the leadership comes into politics because they may they may like a person, and they say, "Well, we 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 see what he's about or she's about. We want them to represent us." And that's in leadership comes in. I don't see a way you can separate the two.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think it's so, it's almost so obvious and it, it's worth asking the question though, because right. if you think about it, like people literally vote for you, right? They pick right. you. you. Um, and I grew up in a neighborhood where nobody voted because they felt like um, very similar to how you described it. Like, well, someone else will take care of that. Like, I don't have time. I'm just trying to stay. I'm just trying to survive. Correct. So, like, I grew up in a place where um, it wasn't something that was talked about because it was just taken care of. But now seeing it from this perspective, the reason why I asked the question really is you're serving 2 you're kind of, like, there's two parts that you're serving, right? You have to serve the greater good for the city of Houston, but you have to, have to serve your people. Like, the garbage cans is the perfect example of that so when you when you boil it down, what me and David have been talking to a lot of people about and, and just by ourselves is you know what is the, what is at the core of leadership and it's your people and in right. your case, I guess the reason why I ask a question and, and what my follow up question is like how do you differentiate between who you're serving and when and why
2: so in your, your you know the point you just made about my district and then greater good of the city. You know, I was reminded that was one of the few lessons um, or one of the important lessons that niece Parker uh, shared with me. You know, I am city council member for District B, but I am a city council member. My actions do not solely um, yield the consequences in my district. And so, yes, as a person who grew up in the community, Went to school out here, um, graduated, went for multiple degrees, came back as an established person. They believe that I have the knowledge to compete with downtown Houston um, business, but also, guess what? Come back to the neighborhood and, as you know, hang on, hang on, uh, Liberty Liberty Avenue um, with Jay Prince of Rap-A-Lot Records. Mm-hmm. and as we, you know, may have a beverage here or there. And so you, it's a balance of having you, the credibility in the people and they say, oh man, I like Davis. You know, he keep, he keep he's keeping it real. And, and so when you do that, I can't just by all means turn around and say, okay, we're going to vote yes, yes, yes. You spin, you spin, you spin. I have to also make sure on the back end that if we're understanding that houses are need it to be fixed in this area? How do I bring in state and federal funds to help us with roofs? So I can give Ms. Johnson that reprieve in the finances to pay that 114 a month. Um, how do I also go about getting you know, uh, public works to make sure that they're fixing the drainage and flooding in that area? Because a lot, of, a lot of these homes are built on blocks. And if it constantly floods in this area, and the water becomes saturated. The the, the earth becomes saturated. And, then, and when it dries in Houston, then therefore that foundation will shift, giving Miss Johnson a three to nine thousand dollar bill that she does not have the money to pay for it. And so, we have to make sure we try to balance those two. And that's the biggest thing about understanding your community and trying to figure out what's best for them, and also understanding the total picture of what the city of Houston can bring through multi-levels of government and actually give it to them.
0: Jesus Christ. I don't think we were fucking prepared for this. I have so many goddamn questions, Gary. I'm
1: I'm thinking in my head, and I always say to Ronnie, right, as the coach, like, I'm not doing my job unless someone's mad at me. (laughs) If I'm not anyone upset at me, like I'm not doing my job well, right? So do you feel that I mean I'm just trying to think in my head all the people that you've got to Quote unquote, listen to, take their advice, then try to execute. But there's, it's almost like a lose lose, but it really yeah. isn't because if you're keeping the mission, right? Or the goal right. in mind of making the city better, um, do you feel like you're inevitably going to disappoint people, but then you have to word it or articulate it and, and, and describe it in a way that, that can maybe persuade them to get on your side of things? So, um,
2: you know, when, and I'll tell you, um, I was reading something about maybe eight years ago, seven years ago, when I first got on council, they talked about politics and there's a level of vanity or an ego. An ego is a proper word to use. It is an egotistical position. And I was like, no, I got in this to help the people. But the first time I got up for a re-election, only 70% of the people voted for me. I was crushed. I'm not going to watch. I was like, man, I've been out here humping, you know, working, (laughs) doing what I need to do. I'm like 70%, you know, out of five people. And the others was like, man, that's, that's good. I was like, no, that's 30%. I didn't get, I need to go figure this out. And, you know, and I've been about 70% on all my, all my races. And that that lets me know that, yes, um, the majority of people do like what I'm doing. And I must be doing some right because you got thirty percent of the people that are mad, that are, are disappointed in me, exactly. and you know they're disappointed. So some people, guess what? It it, it I can be much. What do they say? You can draw draw more flies with honey than vinegar. Um, so that's a personal thing that I I had to learn. Okay, um, that be a bit more open don't be so closed off because when they think and you close off they think you're uh, an asshole and my wife you talking to my wife she's gonna say well you are anyway but <laughs> but if you do that you know it won't it won't come off so so bad when you have to sell someone no this is the way we voted but then also get these consensus blocks that you have and try to figure out okay we didn't get a win on this one for you and i understand but maybe next time we may be able to get a win for you. And then that's sort of the ebb and flow of the 70%. I believe that's where, you know, that's where I get my 70% because I don't make everyone happy every time. And uh, because you don't only have, you know, I'm a Democrat, um, but I'm a businessman. And so I see both sides. Um, That's one thing that I think a lot of people like about me in the district. Um, I do have Republicans in the district conservative republicans and they do like some of my policies in the way i vote on certain things and so every any given day they can it can be thumbs up for my any of my constituents and then thumbs down and so i liken that to again like you said if you're not making someone mad you're not doing work And I think that we're doing work in the city, and I'm going. While I'm on council, I think I'm going to continue to make more upset more people. Um, I wish I didn't. Um, I'm sure when casting my vote on Wednesday, I'm going to disappoint some people. Um, Some people are going to get it, um, and some people aren't going to get it.
0: This is, I mean, this is wild to me. So one of the we had um, one of our, our first guests was Nate. This guy named Nathan Lunahan, and he. He was in the army and he, he, he worked pretty high up in his ranks. And he had, one of the things he shared with us was there's this cutoff when it happens at some point in like the one to 200 people. When you are a leader for more than that number, it was, I want to say it was like 200, right, Dave? Or yeah, I think something. it was 200. 200, he's like, all of a sudden the dynamic changes. Like your leadership style has to change because of the number of people. And right. David, I mean, you were you led a ship. How many people were on your ship?
1: Yeah, we had uh, like 250.
0: 250. Jerry, how many people are in your district?
2: Uh, It's about 217,000.
0: 217,000 people. Like, how do you lead? Because, I mean, to me, I lead a team, I've led a team of 20 people before. I currently lead a team of like 50-ish. I can get to know 50 people, (laughs) right? There is right. no, I can't think of a world where you get to know 217,000 people.
2: And so I would tell you this. So you you can, and this is going to sound bad, but it's just, it's the reality of it. You take the 217 and you reduce it. You reduce it to maybe 77,000 voters. Okay, because let's be honest. My position is about votes. And it's about, those are my boss. That's my boss. Those are my bosses every day in and out. And then you narrow that some thousand to about 15, 16,000. Cause those, that's how many people actually go out and vote in my district. And then, so my job is to get to know, like I've narrowed it down in the last eight years to know about 17,000 people. That's my job. And either social media, um, you know, talking to my seniors, getting them hooked up on social media, you know, with my staff and volunteers, you know, getting them email, acclimated to email so we can uh, be able to dist- uh, distribute information to them on a, um, you know, there'll be a constant contact. Um, robodials, you, I can tell you how many of my seniors have still have landlines, okay? They still <laughs> have landlines with recorders, okay? Because I'll call, and I'm leaving a message and then all of a sudden they'll pick up in the middle of the record. So, you know,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. I love that. So, yeah. So, you know, we have to, so you have to break it down to where, you, you know, in numbers that you can actually try to work with. And through community events, you may see two 300. And so that number dwindles down again. And then as you know you may take opportunities like now when we're reaching out we're 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 calling our seniors making sure that they're okay we're working with the houston food bank we're working with target hunger and we're working with various churches and nonprofit organizations within the district and within the city of houston to make sure that our people um, needs are being met so at least they can survive the next week um so you have to any given time, that number will there's an ebb and flow of how many people you need to have in front of you and take care of them. Yeah.
1: Jerry, like I know you personally, right? You're a big dude, like six five, right? Like two two twenty, 220, two twenty five. I wish, man, I'm
2: by two, I'm at two seventy now. So, you know. <laughs> All
1: right, I was giving you a couple, but I know, good. I know. COVID, COVID nineteen, trying to touch seventeen thousand people. How important? You're a big guy but how important is it to have a team behind you as a leader right like you you have to have and i don't know your staff i don't know your volunteers i'm assuming you got really good people around you but can you speak to kind of your your right hand and your left hand of who those people are and how you chose them
2: right so i'll tell you so let me give you a little if i may give you a little backup so remember i told you those two four year terms that we've gone to I've served eight years, so technically I'm supposed to be off of city council. Uh, There were the November election, there was a a protest and legal papers filed, and they have yet to um, elect a council member for District B. So, under state provisions, I'm a holdover, as we like to call Council Member Emeritus. And as a leader, um, I've been, you know, I had a chief of staff who was with me for seven plus years and brilliant young man, a HCC, excuse me, uh, University of Houston graduate named Sam Samuel DK. He uh, went on to development. So last year, I wanted to make sure that he was not, um, without a career to go into. And so on day one, I told my four staff members, I said, in in, four, in five years, I will fire all five of y'all if y'all are still here. I said, I'm going to fire you. And they were. this was our first meeting um, collectively. And they were like, what? I said, I'm going to fire you because I will not have you in this office at the end of my term looking for a job. That means you have not done your job in the five years you've been on staff as several departments you could you know you 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 intertwine with it on a daily basis outside companies as it relates to real estate as it relates to you know various very engineering various different various departments and so I'd say so as we serve the people and we do it well you know I pick you all to represent the, the district and you should shine and as you shine others should take notice and allow me to help you um, go into your second career or find your second career um, and then roll off into something else. And so I, I've had the pleasure of of having two of my staff go, members go on to be uh, chiefs of staff in the city of Houston, uh, the council members, as well as county commissioner. I've had uh, a, a staffer to go on to be uh, the Z- vice president of the land assembly um, um, land bank board that doing redevelopment housing, real estate. I've had a, 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 my chief of staff had the, he's now heading up as the uh, government relations guy for the the new ion and rice. And so my guy, Sam DK is the man Um, helping with community benefits, agreements and things of that nature. And so to me, as a leader, it's my job to set them up for their next platform. And I I, I thought I needed to do that or that means I wasn't doing my job. And so my left, my right hand, they've changed. And right now I have a new chief of staff. Um, He's been with me um, for the entire eight years, but in a different capacity. He did more of the events and he was like, Mr. Mr. Fix-It. Now he's had to learn the different departments and how this, excuse me, but how this game is played from the chief of staff role and manage. And it's been somewhat difficult for him because he's just used to doing, taking his task and going and getting it done. Now he has to give give out task and make sure others are doing it. But he's working it. Um, One of my former lacrosse players, uh, I've been knowing him since he was in the ninth grade back in 2003, 2004. And so, uh, good young man. And so, but you need to have loyal people uh, on your staff. You need to be able to say, hey, this is what my goal is, and let's figure out how to get it done. And while he or she are in these meetings, they need to begin to think about certain things from their perspective, my district's perspective, and from my perspective, what questions to ask. And what things that oh he he may feel that council member may feel that's challenging and you know and and make that noted make that note on my behalf and the district behalf, and so we're we, we're going through some some a transition. Um, we have institutional knowledge with this young man being there for eight years. Um, we've hired two new people in the last seven months, and so uh, I'm sorry, three new people. Yes, yeah, seven months and one person, new person within the last three months. Because that race, this District B race probably will not be decided until November. And so now this transitional period is very, yeah, yeah, it's very difficult. um, But, you know, I'm glad that the staff is up to the task. Um, And right now our roles are uh, basic roles, of services for the city, as well as checking on the seniors and the constituents during this time of COVID, being a resource um, provider. And what I mean by that is gathering all the resources within the area from the county to the city and helping them out with testing, uh, food, as well as, um, you know, we've we've, we've also how to file unemployment, Um, where to go for, you know, we just, council just passed a $15 million rent relief uh, bill last Wednesday. And so we advocated for that and mayor brought it up and we were able to push that out. Uh, so those are some of the things that we're, we're doing right now. And so our role has changed drastically, you know, minimal of the day-to-day service, but more so of of the resources that's going on, just being that hub for everyone.
0: That is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, what, what I go to immediately is I think of, when I think of leadership in the sense that I've been accustomed to, which is not in the you know, political approach, I immediately think of, well, what is your role in developing that guy? So how do you develop him to go from being the the Swiss army knife? Sounds like he was a right. do it all guy. And now he's got to learn how to manage people, which is maybe not something he ever did for you before. Correct. Yeah. So how do you spend your time with him to get him being as efficient as you need? And frankly, as I'm sure will be good for him regardless.
2: So one is that, um, you know, leading by example, um, you know, we go, we'll do uh, some role plays. Uh, I will let on certain scenarios, I will let him take the, take the wheel and, um, and drive. Sometimes he'll crash, but basically um, it may be in a situation that we can afford that crash or we may have more time to fix it and move forward or it may not be of a high priority It may it could be a low level uh, issue that we, you know, made a mistake. Okay. We can move on. Um, but mo- But what we're doing is we're having more team, I'm having more team meetings now with, with the team. I'm having more, Hey, we do this event. All right. Let me go buy everyone lunch. Let's gather up, you know, okay. You sit at that table, you sit at that table, you know, we're having our social distance, but we're having you know um times to we have we're having a time to communicate and talk and so they're now seeing it they're hearing it um of how we're working and how we're leading and my expectations and they've just spent a whole half a half a day with the community so they know the community's expectation and now it's time for us to prioritize and write it down and develop a strategy to move forward and so constantly right now having checkpoints um, with the with the chief of staff, as well as, you know, those secret shopper moments, calling the rest of the staff, just asking like, hey, what's going on? You know, playing dumb, knowing, you know, everything and giving them points to how to, oh, well, this is one thing I think you may do. Have you talked to the chief of staff about this? And then they may say, oh, no, we didn't. And then they'll go back and, you know, they'll, they'll connect. So that's what I'm finding myself doing more and more and more now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's so crazy. It seems like, you know, if there's one thing that you could maybe tell our listeners, like, I know for me, I've learned as I've gotten older, became a head coach, taken on more roles, more responsibilities, listening is, you know, I used to think I had, to, had the biggest chest and be able to talk the entire time. But as I've kind of grown and matured and gotten more experience, I've realized that listening is by far the, the, the most important aspect of, of my role as a mentor. Can you speak to maybe, is it, it could be listening or it could be something else that, that you really see as you've kind of experienced things and gone through it? What you would um, kind of share with our listeners on, on your leadership experience about what you know, one or two things that you could say, like, oh, I've really gotten better at that or I still need to work at that?
2: Right. So um, one of my biggest, I gotta say, my biggest issues that I'm still working with now is my dad was like, bam, uh, get in there, figure it out. I've given you the twos, the basic foundation. So you should be able to come up, uh, derive the answer, the proper answer from what I've what I've shown you. Um, that's, you know, so he's a big, he was a big proponent uh, of, of learning. Um, so one of my things that I have to really work on is, you know, for with my son, with my staff, is that I had to go through a lot of these things to be able to come up with this answer that I have now. And they have to do the same thing. Um, so allowing them time to develop, um, allowing them time to, me not thinking that they should have the answer right then, even though I may have had that answer, you know, on the first time, but everyone has their own experience to allow them to learn and to produce in their own way. And so I'm still dealing with that. That's one of my biggest issues um, that I have to deal with um, as a leader, understanding that everyone, you know, uh, I grew up with a uh, stern dad um my football coaches were were yellers. My college basketball coach was a yeller. Um my um high school lineman coach was a yeller. Um uh, my lacrosse coach was uh I'm not gonna say was a he was yeller. he's very boisterous. Um, one of those guys from New York. Um so you know Sounds you like know. a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Terry Corker, uh, from Cornell, but, uh, not Cornell, um, uh, the division three powerhouse. I forgot them at the school. Cortland, right
0: and don't you call them a powerhouse in front of me, Jerry. That's <laughs> rude. Dragons are not real. I don't care. No, no, scenario. no. Was
2: Hobart. He went to Hobart. He went oh, to Okay. Hobart. He's allowed. So yeah. Uh, name is Terry <laughs> Corker the red rooster. So uh, these guys were yellows, And so guess what? I'm a yeller. I really am. And, um, understanding that everyone does not accept or receive that type of motivation. And, uh, that's what I, you know, as a leader, that's one of the things that they're different learning styles, even though I know that being a former teacher, um, going to those classes, understanding those, and they're different leaders and different te- uh, uh, educational styles. I have to make sure that I continue to remember that and uh, and not, um, be so hard and but what that is an opportunity to teach you know in with this type of learning style um, hey here's the basics I've given you the platform I've given the foundation and you go through those things with them and say okay well what did you come up with and why and then so on and so forth so that's one thing I am happy about is you know the logic you know that that I have and um it was shown when I took the LSAT because I did well in the logic games portion. And so uh those are some of the things that I, I like to share with other with others.
0: That's uh number one, I'll tell you that <laughs> you you probably are going to appreciate David and I. Uh we we use the vocal cords that God gave us. <laughs> So that's number one. Number two, though, I, it's super interesting. Like I feel like I went through something similar as someone who was highly motivated by that type of personality and that approach. Yeah. And and I learned very quickly, like that doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. Um, and I had a lot of failures on the way. Uh, but to me, I I do want to kind of go way back for you. And I say way back. Cause I think you're super old, Jerry.
2: Yeah, um, I am. <laughs>
0: Uh, and I want to go back to the beginning and and what what did leadership look like for you when you were growing up right? you 've mentioned your dad you've mentioned a bunch of your coaches, but I also think it's' um, it 's it's always fantastic for me to see you, you know you have there 's three of you right you have two brothers right and all three of you are in leadership positions and are successful in your own right and i don 't think that stuff happens by mistake. Right. So what was leadership like for you guys when you were growing up?
2: So, you know, leadership for me again, was my dad, but I didn't really understand the full capacity of my father in, in his role. Um, my mom um, was uh, very stern, um, but also loving. And so, you know, I, you know, cared about her and her feelings. So me as a father and as a husband, understanding that, you know, to be a good leader of my family, you know, I need to make sure that I treat my wife and any other person before her with that same compassion and, and be a, a real, so this is how I can be a real leader to my to my family now and also to others. Um, but then I saw, yeah, my great-grandmother. My great-grandmother was, great-grandmother was in the house um, not too far from us And she was a, uh, it was a house where all of the cousins were dropped off, especially during the summertime because all our parents were working parents. So you had about nine at one point in time and 70 some year old grand, great grandmother going out when you did something wrong, go, go, you go pull the switch off that tree right there and (laughs) bring it back. And, you know, everybody's had the story about you getting a small, small switch now you get the right one <laughs> if you go go out there and get one for you and so that at that point in time that was a different type of leader type of leadership and then you have you know uh, a community with my my church with my pastors um he was a leader. I thought you know i it was God and then him. I omitted Jesus and the Holy Spirit at that point in time it was God and then my pastor, so that was another uh leader in 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 my life. And then you go back to, again. I'll never forget my, um, my lineman coach, uh, Coach Martinez. Even though he yelled, and one day he said, Jerry, I wish I could flunk you because I developed later. I graduated, <laughs> graduated 17, and he want, you know, wanted me to stay because I had gotten a growth. But he was a good guy. I knew what he meant. He, and, you know, and he wanted to mold me um, at that time. And so that, to me, that leadership came from various folks, but all of them were somewhat stern, and um, and in the area where we grew up, you know, you needed that to keep you on 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 track. Uh, and so I think that you know we've been able to, and that's one of the reasons why why I'm in this position as a city council member. Um, yeah, we we did the whole thing. Moved out to the sub, you know, Galleria area suburbs with the house and you know all that. But we moved back to the community which we grew up in, because what you said, my me and my three brothers. You know, the question is why? Uh, why is it just the three of us? Other classmates that we had in the class with us, why aren't they out being somewhat successful? on a, on a larger scale, on a larger platform. Um, cause we're no, we, we're not, we're not any different from our neighbors and our friends we grew up with. Um, so, but it, I know it had to do a lot to do with our support system and the leaders in, in, in our lives at that time. And so, and, and I didn't know my dad was a hustler When I say hustler, he was a school teacher. He did weddings. He did, uh, What else? He worked at a telephone company in the summertime. He made sure his three sons and wife had something to eat and had clothes on their back. Not knowing that that was the first CEO of a corporation that I knew. The first one that I knew. And I believe that we and myself, I like to shine a light, the light on children and their families and the people that they interact with, that these are CEOs. These are companies even though it could be your uncle who has a lawn service, it could be your aunt who has a salon, it could be your cousin who does barbecue on a truck. These are all CEOs and they're people that you could strive to be like. And we need to make sure that we actually highlight these people um, because it's gonna give our our my community someone to look up, up to and someone to aspire to be like.
1: Wow. Um. I think the one, I guess, building on that, so you went in your childhood, you had all these, you know, your coaches, your parents, your great grandmother, all these people that you could look towards. You're successful. You went on, you have multiple degrees, you have a, a, a couple restaurants, all this. The one thing that keeps going back in my mind, why would you run for city council? Why would you do that to yourself with, I mean, with all the dynamics behind it, you easily could have said, you know what, I can expand my business. I can further my family, make it more, you know, give them all the financial, you know, security they want. But then you went this direction as a leader. Was that leadership driven? Was that driven because you just felt that need to give back? What was, what kind of motivated you to do that?
2: Yeah it it wasn't it wasn't leadership driven I'm going to say that um others may say it differently but it was a more on <clears throat> it was more of a humanity thing um that's you know life is not about for me it's not about accumulation of um wealth and things like that from a monetary aspect and it was made clear to me um when we found out when well in back in 04 um when my dad was was killed in his home and so it was clear to me that life was a little bit more than um making money uh was was a, you know i just had my first well no i hadn't had him yet my wife was pregnant with my firstborn um dean and so we had to uh oh, i i got a glimpse into having a loss and then um, a new a new birth and you know looking at what was life kind of like what we're, we're many of us are experiencing right now in this pandemic. We're reassociating ourselves with our loved ones, with our community, with our neighborhood, um and there's a connection that we're making. Well I had that connection back in the day. Um starting in 0405. And I believe that, um, and there's a passage in the Bible that says, I must work the works of he who has sent me while this day, for when night cometh, no man can work. And I was taught that as a young, young boy. Um, and I really believe in it because right now it's daytime and I have to continue to give back because I really believe that this is what God has intended us to do. And so coming back to my community, giving back, I don't think it's right that I should have such a great life when others, in their opinion are looking at the situation at the end, they don't have this type of life. And I'm not saying, you know, we live in a three bedroom, two bath house, bungalow over in Fifth Ward, Cashmere Garden, excuse me. Um, I'm not saying the money thing. It's just the love that we have. You know, we spend... Two three hours a day at a 10,000 square foot lot that we uh, we call the beehive where we produce honey for um the community of uh, 10 hens where we they lay eggs for the community right now we're in the process of growing veg, vegetables for the community and you know guess what i don't have to worry about anything when we're at there when we're at the at the, at the farm at the beehive and to me you know that's what life's about when i cut the front part of Of the lot I continue to go over to the neighbor's front yard and I cut his, and that's it, and you we have to look at me, I believe we have to look at life from that perspective. You know when I came back from Maryland playing lacrosse, it wasn't huge here, and I was like, you know it it was building, but I was thinking to myself,' it's like, well, you know, I have so much knowledge in this sport.' and that other kids want to learn, you know, I, I truly, I cannot coach lacrosse. I mean, stop playing and coaching lacrosse in Texas. And, you know, I've been able to coach and help kids become, you know, all Americans playing at Syracuse, playing at Loyola, playing at Dartmouth and so on. And you know, the list grows. And so I, and I I liken that to my life in what I do. I have to go back and give to make sure, because I have this knowledge that need to impart into other people so they can have um, some success that they, that they deserve in life.
0: Jared, wow. yeah, we, we've talked a lot about um, different type of leadership styles and I don't know, Dave and I feel like it always boils down to a few key things. Mm. And a lot of what you just described is, is what we've heard from a lot of different people which is, it's always people for it starts and ends with people. And, and, you know, the servant leadership is, is really built into every leadership style or least good ones. Um, So I just wanted to note that. And then the second thing is, how have you been affected by bad leaders along the way or or bad leadership that you've learned from?
2: Well, you know, the old additive, you can always learn something from someone Mm -hmm. or from somebody. Um, You know, one of the things when I got, into this role as a council member i had few people few people to help me um, from a city's perspective and from an elected official's uh, perspective of how to govern and so one of the things that you know and I, one reason why i give mayor turner props on um, you know he was the state representative on my northeast sector which is acres homes in, in, in district b and he was a state representative over there. And one thing that I learned, he always shared, even though he wasn't a direct mentor of mine, he always shared. When he did something in Acre, something, he made sure his office called my office to let keep me abreast of what was happening and what he wanted to do. And if I wanted to be a part. And one of the things he used to do, he used to, like, he did the big Fourth of July uh, fireworks event, like, every other year. And he would always do events. You know, uh, Sylvester Turner Day at the Park He would always do events in his district. And I've been a proponent of always doing events in my district. Um, if it's from the Be Better Conference, that's where I take my nine of my middle school kids, my eighth graders. I'll bust them in on coach buses down to the Georgia or Brown because many have never been downtown. Many have never been on coach bus. And we, and, and the state tells them that once you hit the ninth grade, you must have a track of what you want to do in life. Well, I think it's unfair for my kids to make a decision on what they're going to do when they have not been exposed to many of the of the career paths. So at George O. Brown, we have from electricians, we have from bankers, we have from um, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Littner with Methodists, um, showing these kids various occupations and careers. And we get them um, to do a one-day conference where they can just get the tips of all things. We have nurses from LBJ drawing fake blood out of plastic arms. And they're like, wow. And so when we we get those opportunities, um, well, I got that opportunity that was shown to me again by Sylvester Turner on how to bring my district in in various ways. We do the Octobrew. District B has... Three of the best breweries in the Budweiser. Um, um, I forgot Spindle Tap as well as St. Arnold's, and all of them donate beer. And we have a live with three bands in that that evening, and people are going out just buying beer, having fun, responsibly. Um, auction items, and we'll take those proceeds and we'll reinvest them in the after school programs in those in my district. You know, a few years back when. It's, when the HISD was about to close 10 of the schools, six of the 10 were in district B. And that's when I had to do, I felt I had to do something. And so we were able to partner with this uh, operation called TXRX, who, you know, doing wonderful things in the city of Houston and other after school care providers. And so again, my biggest thing is that I need to do events and to be the conduit from downtown, to district b and that's one of the things that i've been able to learn from a few elected officials like Co. bradford uh costello from county who's now the the flood czar of the city of houston and um mr russell turner wow uh, um
1: looking at kind of who's impacted you um throughout you know your kind of not only political life but your your kind of role as a dad and everything else is there Is there one overarching kind of theme that you would say that would connect all those kind of people that have influenced you? If there's one word or one one, kind of leadership characteristic that you would kind of talk about of kind of what connects all those people?
2: I don't know if it's one word, but it's a phrase. See, I I follow people who know what they're doing. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm just, I'm serious. (laughs) you don't know what you're doing. I lose interest in you. I do. I really do. I may start off like, Oh yeah. Then I'm like, Oh, okay. I need someone else. I need someone else. And it's bad. I hate to say it. I hate to say it, but, but those people, again, coach Corcoran is still there. My dad's there. My pastor's there, you know, you know, um, you know, all these guys and my mom and, you know, they, they wore the, ones that they were the professionals they had the most knowledge about that subject matter that I was interested in and I and I you know and I stood there and I sat there and I hung out with them and I got every ounce of information that I could and so that person one they need to be knowledgeable and that knowledge needs to just soothe out of their body and that's 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 just me you know from coach martinez you know he was he was you know this he's like five seven five eight a hundred and some pounds soaking wet and uh, you know and he's 300 pound lineman you know in high school and we just followed him so you have to have that i know what i'm doing and and you have to show it
1: yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's only so much, you know, I always say you can fake the funk for only so long exactly. until sniff you out. Right? right. Especially when you get to that level that you're at, I mean, I'm sure you can sniff it a mile away. A guy who's trying to fake the funk in, yeah. in, in your kind of, in your realm, um, just because of the, the the caliber of person that is at that level, you got to know what you're doing. So I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, and especially as you work your way up that leadership ladder, this being a subject matter expert of that field is so important. But then also having that, that people knowledge, I think makes you such an effective leader. I think that's the critical piece. Gotcha.
0: Jerry, one, one of the things that um I feel like we've, we've talked a lot about around the subject, but we haven't. Hit the bullseye on it, and I want to come right down the middle at it because, as a person who uh, I'm lucky enough to be in leadership and have been in leadership positions, and also I'm a person of color, I have felt a burden that I can't I can't get it wrong, Um, or I have less latitude to get it wrong. And so have some of my peers, who are not not just people of color either. It's women. Um, you know, LGBTQ uh, community, anyone who's in, in one of those um, marginalized communities, it's this, I hate to say it, but it's this burden that we carry that we have less latitude to be wrong. Um, how, first of all, is that something that you agree with? Is that something that you have felt? And if so, how do you use that as your power or, or with you as you carry on?
2: So yeah, yeah, it's it's true. Um, you know, we we have to, and I'll give an example. You guys may not agree or disagree. You know, coaching coach lacrosse at Robs, I can't stand to lose to St. John's. It <laughs> kills me when I lose to St. John's because when I went to Lamar, I'm just be honest with you. When I went to Lamar, and right next door. We beat St. John, they beat us too, but we, I, I did not. And still to this day, I can, you know, I walk on campus and I just make, I, I'm like, am I in the right place? Um, some of the guys that, that I encountered uh, playing for Lamar and coaching at Lamar, um, you know, and then me being a black male um, in lacrosse and everyone said, Hey, you know who else played lacrosse? Jim Brown played lacrosse. And I'm like, yes, I know. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, but you know they. Jerry, are pro- you probably
0: you probably don't remember this, but I was at the mayor's luncheon three years ago, and I was doing some work with the economic uh development folks and and um, uh, Robert and 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 Bob over there, uh-huh. Houston, and they found out that I that I coached lacrosse and I was just starting out with Dave. They walked me across this in this whole hotel just to say, you know, this is this is Jerry Davis. He coaches lacrosse too. <laughs> And it was like, we, we had to know each other because we're two brown guys to coach across.
2: <laughs> in Houston. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> no, so, you, you know, so, yeah, certain times I do have to I – can't, I can't lose it. You know, I, you know I, I've got to be um, the best coach um, in this private school sector, um, you know, and I think I am. Um, sometimes I just don't get the talent uh because you, you ed robs but you know and i have to make make do uh with the with what i've been given and uh um, like you all you get to go out with the 12th grade so anyway that's a different story
0: just keep sending them uh, our way Jerry. <laughs>
2: this is a different story but no so you know on a serious no yeah i do sometimes feel that way but then when i am um i i do it less now because i'm comfortable what I do. And I know I'm right. And oftentimes, yes, I do win, not just in lacrosse, but you know, if it's my vote, my agenda item, if it's, you know, um, you know, stopping a a builder who wants to build in my district, you know, whatever it may be, I I do it less now. Because one, I know that I know what I'm doing. And then two, you know, it's like, okay, I'll lose that one. I'll get you on the next one.
0: I, I, you know, it I think all, the interesting part I is all, that if, it feels like the re, the relief of it all is because mm-hmm. you're serving your community. So it, right. it almost feels like, um, like you know that you know that you are all on the same page. And what I mean by you are, I mean like your your voters, right? Your constituents. Right,
2: right. But you know, again, and I, and I'll tell you this. You know, you mentioned that I was old as hell, and which <laughs> okay, cool, uh. You get to, you have a certain resolve about certain things. when I mean, You just know you, you can't fix it. And it's going to be a certain way. Um, yeah, did again. I, I felt that I needed to be, um, you look, at, look at city council members when they, when they raise money. Um, there's council members who raise a lot of money, which are predominantly white. And there's some who don't raise a lot of money which are predominantly black in the small little neighborhoods that really districts that no one really cares about. But once you become, become comfortable with who you are and understand what you can do, you know, I wouldn't, you know, top three council members as far as fundraising in the last few years is because I was comfortable. I knew what I brought to the table and I made them respect me when I was at the table, you know? And so it wasn't just dealing with this little black and brown district anymore. It goes back to what Anise Parker said. I am a council member for the city of Houston. So if you need to pass an ordinance or when an ordinance passed, you need to come deal with me and my people. And so again, my comfort level allowed me to be, give me the confidence, not the arrogance, but the confidence to, to, to say, okay, I'm going to push forward because I know eventually I'm going to fulfill.
0: Oh, damn you Jerry, because, uh, we are we are at an hour and fifteen minutes. <laughs> um, no, I think there has to be a second episode of Jerry yeah. Davis because there's so much shit I still want to ask. <laughs> um, I, I think we're probably at a good spot to stop. What do you think, Dave?
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I just want to, you know, Jerry. I appreciate you and uh, thank you for your service uh, to to your community and to the city of Houston. I know being a transplant. I've uh, I've really come to love this city and uh, what it stands for, and you're you're the best of the best of the best of it. So, uh, thank you for your service, especially in this time that's so nutty and crazy and a lot of stuff going on. So, appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. man.
0: I'll I'll tell you, like I, I've known you for a few years now, from you know my wife coaching coaching your girls, and and now you know we got Dean on our hands. Um. And I, I've known you as a really great guy. I don't. I didn't think I don't know. I didn't know all this, yeah. uh, and a lot of this stuff was uncovered for me over time. And I knew that we'd get a good leadership conversation. But um, really, man, I think number one, we have to have a second episode, and number two, the stuff that you're doing up in District B um, is super impressive. Uh, and and the story connected to it is even more impressive so I look forward to doing another episode Um, we we do typically ask if you have any um, like resources you want to share and and usually it's like a book or a podcast or something that has been inspiring to you but uh, if if you have anything you know want to throw it out there now it'd be cool Uh,
2: you know no you know I just go by the the scripture Again, I'll say it again. I must work the works of he who has sent me while it is day. For when night cometh, no man can work.
0: That's it. That is the way to close it out. Episode four. Jerry, um, I'll be hitting you up on Instagram and tagging you and everything. So I'll hit you up for that. But I appreciate you. And I'm going to close it out. Thank you.
2: you all.